I'm Alex Mito. And I'm James Milley. And this is The Artist Business Plan, your favorite weekly business podcast for artist entrepreneurs, hosted by Superfine Art Fair. Hello, business artists and art entrepreneurs. Welcome back to The Artist Business Plan. My name is Alex Mito. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Superfine Art Fair, the most widespread art fair for artists in the U.S., As you may know, we're a business resource for all things art, artists, and marketing of art. We're here today with Matthew McMurray. Matt McMurray is the co-founder and creative director of Treason Gallery in Seattle, one of our favorite cities in the country. And Treason is one of the region's leading galleries with an emphasis on street art and contemporary artists. Treason has produced a progressive and acutely diverse program that focuses on the international conversation simultaneously pushing local artists from the Pacific Northwest to demand global recognition. In 2018, Matt started Ultraviolet Arts, a creative agency focusing on aligning new construction with bespoke art programming. Matthew has curated over 80 exhibitions in Seattle, New York City, Miami, and Hong Kong, and his curatorial vision has been recognized, featured in a number of publications, including, but not limited to, the Seattle Times, Juxtapose Magazine, and Arrested Motion. It's so quite a mouthful. You've done a lot. Welcome to the show, Matt. Yeah, thanks for having me. Cool. So now before we get started, Matt, there's something that we ask all of our guests and I want to ask you, helps them get to know the real you. What is the earliest memory that you have of art? And at that time, did you realize that you'd be dedicating your life to art and artists? The short answer is no. Probably my earliest memory of art was at a young age, I was obsessed with sneakers And I used to draw different sneakers, mainly Nikes in the early to mid nineties. I grew up around art. My uncle is a uh, painter and aviation artist. So um, I had a lot of exposure to art over the years, but I never formally considered myself an artist. And then in my teens, I I relocated to Seattle from Miami, Florida and uh, grew up in the graffiti scene here in Seattle. And so was exposed to a lot of expressions, I guess I would call it. Now the graffiti is a formal art practice. Yeah. It's funny because you usually hear about the opposite transition from the North down to Miami. I don't usually hear about many Miami kids who end up in Seattle, but, uh, but it's a wonderful way to, to get exposed to that, you know, to, to meet the, the scene that was growing at the time. And I think it's neat, you know, we've had a lot of people on this podcast and some of them, you know, their experience was, oh, they were in a museum and they saw a piece on the wall. But you also find plenty of people who just remember doing something early on that maybe they didn't consider fine art, but that was a creative expression. So with you, it's working with sneakers. I think that's really cool. Now, you work with a lot of new artists at Treason and some of them are famous ones, uh, including James Franco. The question is just how important would you say that having a large following is for an artist trying to break into the art market, either with your gallery or just in general? Yeah, that's a good question. You know, the traditional format for artists interacting with not only clientele, but the art world at large has kind of changed over the last few years with the dawn of the internet and the ability for artists to self-promote with social media and things like that. Following definitely is an easy way for artists to have access to opportunities and to different audiences throughout the world. But I don't know necessarily that following directly translates into an artist's success. It definitely is a attribute to exposure, 
which could lead to success. And you see a lot of artists on the internet now that have massive followings. Some of them I've worked with and had been quite surprised with how little uh, monetary return came in the selling of their art just attributed to their, their following on social media. Yeah. It's interesting that sometimes we can confuse like the following with the actual results. There was a story I heard or read recently about a woman who had a couple of million followers. She, she said, Hey, I'm going to launch a t-shirt company. And they sold like a grand total of like 20 shirts made like $400 thinking that, you know, oh, if I have millions of followers, I'll immediately convert that to monetary success. And it's not always the case, but like you said, it can be you know, I didn't, I'm paraphrasing, but kind of like leverage to propel you towards the success, not necessarily equivalent to it. Yeah, absolutely. I've seen a lot of people that have mastered the perception of success on the internet, not only strictly in the art world, but, you know, I exclusively with some artists that have been able to kind of manufacture success out of just the perception of being a successful artist, which is, you know, worked for some people. And I've seen other people where it hasn't worked, like you're describing, where someone's unable to sell t-shirts. Right. And I kind of want to flip that question around a little bit, because I, I think it's really interesting that you've worked with James Franco and other artists who have kind of known for something that's not necessarily visual art. So if I have people listening here today who maybe, maybe they have a career that they're very well known for, and they're translating that into visual art. Are there any challenges you, that specifically apply to people in that position? Yeah, definitely. I think it's, it just goes without saying that just because you're successful in another industry, you're going to be successful in the fine art world. Um, I've seen a lot of people that have had success in other formats that have moved into fine art and, and have had a very hard time getting things off the ground. So it's, it's kind of a coin toss with anything. Cool. Let's talk about how you guys bring artists into your gallery. What kind of questions do you ask an artist before you get really excited about working with them? Or what are some of the top two, three qualities that really excite you when you're working with a new artist? Oh man, that's a hard question to answer. You know, I, as far as alignment with kind of the curatorial vision of treason, I've always just kind of shown what I was interested in and never really had a lot of foresight into, you know, what was coming the curatorial history of treason has just been a combination of one thing leading to another. You know, the truth is, is that when we started treason gallery, we, we didn't know what we were doing. We just knew that we didn't want to be doing what we saw some of the other galleries in Seattle doing. So that was really kind of the basis of everything that led after was our ability to just kind of push the envelope in terms of what we thought was important and what we wanted to bring to Seattle both on a local level, but as well as the international level. I like that. And I think that, you know, for artists listening out there and other art entrepreneurs, this this is a really good lesson in just kind of going against the grain and you're kind of following the beat of your own drum and maybe knowing what you don't want to be and not that being something else, I think is a really cool thing. I mean, that you take that lesson to any industry, any entrepreneurial pursuit, but I think it's really cool just to, you know, apply that to art and to the arts. So, your website for treason, you guys have started selling prints of some of your artists' work, or maybe you had already been doing that. What are some of the other ways that treason has been adapting to the new COVID or post-COVID environment or the new normal, as we're hearing it called, in keeping the following for your artists engaged and also maintaining sales volume? Yeah, that's a good question. You know, we were very fortunate in closing our brick and mortar last August, so pre-COVID, there wasn't any real reason for us to do so other than our lease was up at that point. 
And we kind of saw the market shifting in a way that we didn't necessarily have to justify a brick and mortar space to continue doing programming. So the majority of our sales volumes have always almost exclusively been online, whether it's direct inquiries from patrons based on catalogs and availability of work that we have with artists that they either follow or that they are um, interested in, or some of the more targeted commerce-based sites like Artsy that we found a great success on Artsy. Uh, We aligned with another company called Art Money, which provides no interest loans for art collectors. And so we find found a lot of success in being able to kind of cultivate new collector relationships through the, the ability to use art money's services for some of our clients. It's interesting. Uh, you mentioned that and that's not scripted at all, but we're really close friends with Paul, the CEO of art money. And we've used uh, art money numerous times. If I could pan my computer around, maybe I will at the end, just to show you a lot of the artwork that we own was purchased through art money. So I think it's a really, really neat, honestly underutilized tool right now. And those galleries out there that take advantage and the artists who demand of their galleries to take advantage of it or find a way to work with art money, there's a lot of opportunity there. And it's, you know, I'll, I'll explain it a little bit, you know, just so people listening know what it is. Basically, it just enables the collector to split the payments over the course of 10 months. The gallery is funded immediately or in the case of an artist, we're actually the only way artists can work directly through art money is through super fine art fairs and you can be funded directly when a piece is sold, but the collector has the ability to leverage the payments out over time. You can buy so many things that way right now. I mean, think about how a credit card is used. I mean, you can buy a couch on payments, you can buy a, a three-piece suit on payments. So, you know, taking this luxury purchase and making it something a little more accessible and approachable to people, I think is a really great innovation. And I'm, I'm glad you guys are taking advantage of it at Treason. And I also like, you know, you mentioned you had already closed your brick and mortar in August of last year, correct? Yeah. Yeah. You know, for a lot of artists who are out there listening and thinking like, you know, I need to get into galleries. I need to do shows. I need to be here. I need to be there. There's so many ways to sell your work and to meet an audience without having the brick and mortar or without having to have someone who has the brick and mortar. So I think it's just a neat thing to keep in mind that that's maybe a good decision even without coronavirus. Tell us a little bit more about the virtual reality tours that you're doing and have those been, you know, helpful for sales? Are they, are they driving sales more than just pictures of the work? Yeah. So the use of Matterport was something that we were kind of on the front end of. We started doing that back in 2017. It was more of a serendipitous approach to the extending kind of the gallery experience. At the time, our uh, friend had started a virtual scanning company And so we were just trying to support and see kind of where it went. It's funny now in COVID seeing everybody's transitioned into that model. But for us, yeah, we found great response to it. It gave a lot of people the ability to experience the exhibitions without actually physically being in Seattle. For us, the the real background driving force with that was over the course of the last five years, I would say about 95% of our clientele does not reside in Seattle. The mainstay of our collectors are either either in Los Angeles, New York, or in parts of Europe. So we found ways to kind of interact with those clients and give them the ability to see the exhibitions at face value through the use of the virtual scanning and the Matterport. But it also just was a nice touch and ability to kind of have people see art in another format. We were actually exploring 
a couple of years ago, just doing virtual shows. Now that concept has been kind of baked over and over and over again, as you've seen, you know, there's full on art fairs that are now virtual due to COVID response. So just another example of us kind of not really having any rules or rhyme or reason to what we were doing, but just throwing things at the wall to see what sticks. And, and now you're seeing a lot of it. Same with art money. Yep. That was the same kind of concept. I read about art money in an article. I thought it was really interesting. We were already doing in-house financing at the time. The only difference was that we were having to kind of hold that the mainstay of that loan to with the client because we would pay our, our artists outright. So it just kind of lessened the load on and burden for us. And at the time, this the other Seattle gallery said we were crazy that this was a concept that would never work. And now it looks like the majority of the galleries are using our money. I think that's great. And just to kind of underscore what uh, what you just said, Matt, the difference with working with a company like Art Money is you will be funded upfront, right? And you can do a time value of money and also the lack of stress of having to collect it. And you can do a lot with that versus, yeah, of course you can run you know payment plans yourself as an artist, as a gallery, but then you have to be the one collecting the money every month. And honestly, if times are harder, it's going to be the first thing someone doesn't do. So it gets hard. It's not fun collecting money. So if you can find a way to have someone else bear that burden, whether it is art money or maybe another service that you work with, um, there's a lot of things out there. If you run your business more like a, a shop, there's a firm, there's Klarna, so many things. If you find a way to leverage that where you are funded up front and they bear the risk and burden of getting the money from people, not only will you sleep better at night, but you will not strain the relationship with those clients because someone else mm -hmm. is doing that for you. I think that's really neat. Also, I love that you said, throw it against the wall and see if it sticks. I just concluded an interview with an artist in Florida. He said the same thing. And I mentioned, I used that phrase this morning in one of my other businesses, which is a hospitality business. And it's such a true phrase. Like it's for successful people. People don't, you don't realize how often that happens that we're not, and not everything is perfectly planned out. Sometimes you have to throw things against the wall and see what sticks. That's how you sometimes come across the best innovations. You see what style of art takes off, what methods take off. People ask us all the time, oh, if I do this one thing, will it work? Will I sell more? I don't know. You have to try it. You have to try it, maybe try something else, see which one really works. Would you agree with that, Matt? Or yeah, no, absolutely. I think, you know, I was just having this conversation earlier with a colleague. The reality of kind of being um, at the spearhead of any kind of idea or movement is that the the first couple people that bring an idea to concept are not usually the ones that profit off of it. They usually have kind of marginal success, whereas the second, third, and fourth round of people that are following through with that concept and idea are the ones that kind of see the, the real success in, in bringing a, a new concept to life. So it's one thing that I've kind of had to accept over the years is just because I see people doing what we're doing, what we were doing three or four years ago now very successfully doesn't mean that what we did was a failure. Mm -hmm. It's kind of a, an idea and a, and a model that I've carried into everything that we've done, which is, you know, fail harder, fail forward, however you want to do that. It's very important for artists that are new or that are emerging to understand that. I cannot stress enough for artists to not uh, get stuck in kind of analysis paralysis or fear of failing you know, we've been very successful at failing and it's honestly given us a lot of opportunity to continue to try new ideas. And um, it's something that we're really grateful and proud of at Treason. Yeah. I, I love what you said about failing forward. Could you just define that for our audience? Like what is failing forward? 
Yeah. So when we started Treason, neither myself or my partner, Alex, came from an art background. We had no idea how to run a gallery. And so we constantly were having to teach ourselves things on the fly. I mean, the first kind of milestone for us was selling more than one piece of art. And then once we got into a rhythm of selling art, it was like, okay, how how are we going to get this art to clients now? And so we were constantly going through these processes where we were doing things either very inefficiently or incorrectly altogether. And so through that failure, we were able to kind of get really successful at doing things. And one of the biggest things that we learned was outsourcing operations that we just, it just didn't make sense for us to do. When we, when we did our first few print runs, when we were working with Cheyenne Randall and we were doing print runs every other week, and we were trying to fulfill orders of 200 prints at a time, we actually printed the first thousand prints on a little Epson printer. And then we realized like, this is a complete waste of time. We could outsource this printing. And then we went from printing, not printing them ourselves to packing them ourselves, packing the tubes. And it just was a lot of time. It was a time suck. And so we wouldn't have known that if we hadn't gone through that process. And so that's kind of the the ethos of failing forward. It's doing it the first time, even if it means that you're doing it inefficiently or incorrectly, so that you can find that kind of uh, means to success out of a process. You know, Matt, there's so much value to what you're saying for artists or for entrepreneurs. Failing forward, like actually making the mistakes, seeing what doesn't work for you. It's, you know, it's what you do at that point that really defines you as an entrepreneur or an artist or a business, whether or not you continue doing that thing or whether you learn how to adapt. I also love the outsourcing because a lot of artists, you know, we hear the word outsource and you automatically think like, you know, you know, GM outsourcing to China or something. And it has this A, a negative connotation, but B like, well, I'm just one person. How can I do that? Or I'm like a very small business. How do I do that? But there's such easy things like making your own prints, some things that just aren't vital to your process. They don't fuel your soul or your creativity or whatever. They're just things that get in the way and take up your time and are annoying. Finding ways to get those done, so, so important. Going on a little tangent here about prints though, a lot of artists, they'll, they'll commit to making a run of prints and then they have all these prints to sell and it's just this dead inventory. And it's so much smarter to have them fulfilled. And that way you only have to have made what you need. And then whatever you make is, is profit from it. So I think it's a neat way to look at it versus like the amount of time it takes you to do it. Plus also ending up with extra, extra prints that you may not sell. So I think it's a really cool approach. Cool. So I want to switch gears a little bit, Matt, talk a little about curation. You've curated shows all over the world and I'd love to get you one day and talk more about Hong Kong. I'm so excited. I've never actually been there. So what is the major difference for you when you curate and cater to an American art market, like, you know, be it Seattle or New York versus an overseas market? The international market, as I know it, whether it be in in Europe or in Asia, grown accustomed to kind of the a universal style of exhibition. So the way that we exhibit works or curate works, whether we were doing it in the States or overseas was pretty much the same. The only kind of fundamentals that changed were the way that you marketed the work and the way that you tried to sell the work and the client clientele direct interactions that you had. But as far as curation, you know, I always worked really, really closely with the artists that we were um, exhibiting. It was a very intimate process for me. I relied on the artist 
the majority of the time to kind of help facilitate their curatorial vision. The way I looked at it is it was a very kind of symbiotic relationship. We had the space that we were providing to the artists, the artist produces the work, and then we just kind of take the heavy lifting out of having to market and sell the work and deliver the work. So it was something that, you know, every show that I've done, I wouldn't have been able to do it without the artist. And that's kind of the difference between working with artists directly, a gallery that actually markets artists work or galleries that market what, what you would call like secondary market work that is, they're not working directly with the artists anymore at that point. So a lot of it with you, it's just been collaborative with the artists and that they're putting a lot of the creative energy into it. And you guys are doing the heavy lifting, the marketing, the strategy, all that goes into it. But honestly, it's good. It's good perspective for artists who might be in this situation down the road where they're doing a show and they're like thinking, what, what voice do I have in this curatorially? Now, if you find a gallery that's like treason, you might have a pretty big voice in there. Cool. So as we begin to kind of wrap up here, what is one more top word of advice you would have for an artist out there who's considering working with a gallery or even with your gallery or any gallery out there, what would be a word of advice you would give them? Oh man, that's a loaded question. <laughs> you know, I, I think the biggest thing for artists as far as working with galleries is understanding that the best, they're going to find the most success in working with galleries if they're upfront about their expectations and understanding that treating working with a gallery as a relationship that works until it doesn't for you. That's not something that you're going to hear another gallerist tell you, yep. tell an artist, because they're going to, you know, the, the truth is, is that the majority of the galleries exclusively rely on the artists to, to be in business. And so understanding that, that doesn't mean that you should be over demanding or even unrealistic in kind of the way you, the way that you interact with the galleries I would suggest just treating it as a relationship, just like anything else. You know, the, the best successes that I've had in working with artists has been in having just a really rich relationship with the artist. And so having open dialogue, being able to have difficult conversations with one another, being able to be honest and, and kind of forthcoming about what we're both looking for has gone a long way in kind of nurturing that relationship. I love the idea of just, you know, being upfront about your expectations and what you want. And then also what do they want from you before you get into an arrangement that's difficult to maintain. And like mm -hmm. the way, as you're talking about it as a relationship, I'm thinking kind of like a romantic relationship, almost all of these things hold true, whether it's relationships with friends, romance, business, you know, uh, artist and gallery. It's, it's so interesting how it kind of transcends everything being upfront, talking about, you know, having hard conversations and then treating it as a relationship that works as long as it works for you. And at the point that it doesn't work for you, it's always better to call it. I mean, and, and like you said, maybe not every gallery is going to say that, but that's why our artists are listening to this show, not another show. And we appreciate yeah. your candor on that. All right. So to all of you artists out there, Matt has been generous with his time today, coming in from Seattle, dropping advice bombs for you. If you want to connect with Matt at Treason Gallery, you can follow Treason at Treason Gallery on Instagram or visit www.treasongallery.com. You should check out those cool virtual exhibitions they have going on. Maybe take some cues from that. As always, remember that we're Super Fine Art Fair on Instagram. If you want to give us a quick hello or learn more about how to apply for an exhibit at one of our upcoming fairs, 
in 2021 and beyond around the US, just drop us a line at artistsmakingmoney at superfine.world. That's artistsmakingmoney at superfine.world. And if you want to just check out the website and learn more about us, you can always go to www.superfine.world. We also have every episode of our podcast on there. You can check those out. Click Artist Business Plan Podcast at the top. As always, I would like to add the class by sharing what I feel is a quick and relevant quote with you all. Today, the quote is, setting goals is the first step in turning the invisible into the visible. That is Tony Robbins, an author and motivational speaker. Matt, it has been a pleasure having you with us here today. Thank you for being so generous with your time. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's been great. Yeah, you're welcome. Hope to see you again soon. Everyone else, have an awesome rest of your day. Remember to stay on top of your artist's business plan, get out there and make it happen. Thanks for joining us for another episode of The Artist Business Plan, a weekly business podcast for artist entrepreneurs brought to you by Superfine Art Fair. Hosted by Superfine CEO Alex Mito and co-founder slash professional artist James Milley, join us and leaders in the art, marketing, and business arenas each week for tips, tricks, and value bombs designed to help you thrive and sell more art. For more information on applying to Superfine Art Fair, as well as recordings of this in all of our past podcasts, just visit www.superfine.world. We love to hear what you have to say, so just follow us on Instagram at superfineartfair and shoot us a message to let us know you're listening. Looking for a more personal connection or want to exhibit at an upcoming fair? Just shoot us an email at artistsmakingmoney at superfine.world and we'll get right back to you. That's artistsmakingmoney at superfine.world. Thank you.